Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking the Terror. I am one of your hosts, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I'm so happy to be here with my wonderful and talented co-host, Jen. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Really excited for today, Kente. Yes. Uh, I mean, first of all, uh, we recorded the uh, the final episode uh, review uh, about a week ago. And uh, for those who just listened to that podcast because, you know, they didn't want to get spoiled and all of that, um, you know, I've been hearing a lot of cool things about how people loved how everything ended. And uh, I know you're in the group very heavy. Uh, where, where were some of the responses you heard, Jen? Um, it really ran a pretty big spectrum. Some people really liked it and some people were really, really, really depressed. Because uh, uh, no more terror, yeah. right? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. There's no more terror. And also there were a number of people who expressed sort of uh, a lot of emotion about the death of Tunbach as if that was you know, a, a really sad thing. It, it, I, I was actually quite surprised. <laughs> that is hilarious. Uh, people mourning for Tunbuck. <laughs> I never saw that one coming. That's as bad as he was, apparently people were sad that, you know, he, look, he was just doing his thing. Why did they have to kill him? It, it was, yeah, it yes. was pretty, it was so, actually pretty funny. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to, I guess have to do an in memoriam to Tunbuck. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but uh, we are here today because we're b blessed to have a terrific actor on our program, Mr. Paul Reddy. You know him as Henry Goodsir on the show, The Terror. How are you doing, sir? Yes, very good. Thank you. Wonderful to be here talking to you yeah. about a project that I really loved doing. I mean, The Terror was, was a, a joy to work on, so... And I, I actually quite understand that idea that people were on the tumback side, you know, <laughs> part of me does. Yeah, that seems like a very Henry Goodsir thing to say. That does. <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. Pro probably, <laughs> probably. Yeah, so we're going to, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the show. But what we want to do is give people an opportunity to really get to know you, the person, Paul. So um, for those who sure. may not know, uh, where are you from originally? Where were you born? So originally, I'm from uh, Birmingham in in the UK. So the center, the the middle of the country. Oh, nice. So, w what was it like growing up there? In Birmingham. Yes. Well, there, there's a co there's a competition uh, between Birmingham and Manchester, which is further north, to which is the second city of uh, in in the UK to London. And uh, historically, Birmingham is supposed to be the is the second city, but you know there's a, there is this competition that goes on between Manchester and Birmingham. But um, Birmingham is a great place to grow up. Another city, I think I've I've only ever lived in Birmingham and London, so I've only ever known cities or lived in cities rather. Um, but yeah, a great a great place to grow up. I can't imagine going back now. You know, having lived in London, and my life is definitely here. I've lived here for over over half my life now. I left I left Birmingham to study uh, acting in London, and I never I never went back. But you know, I still have family there, so I go back quite often. Hmm. Now, now you said that it's like a competition. Is it like a friendly competition? Does it get very intense? The rivalry. <laughs> well, I you know if you. 
basically, if you're from Manchester, you say Manchester's the second city. If you're from Birmingham, you say Birmingham's the second city. I think that's as, that's as far as it goes, really. <laughs> you know? Now, were you one of those people who... It's a, it's a, it's a pride thing. It's a, yeah, it's all about that, that pride. Um, now, yeah. are, were you one of those people at a very young age that knew what you wanted to do as far as a, a career? Or, were you, or did you find out much later? Well, I think I, I knew quite early. But initially, initially I wanted to be a tennis player, actually. Um, but I, I, I wasn't nearly good enough. But I spent, you know, I spent like formative years playing, trying to play tennis, um, which I, lo- I can't play at all now because it has been a long time since I've uh, played. But uh, no, I used to, that's what I really wanted to do when I was younger. But actually... By the time I went to secondary school, you know, mid-secondary school, probably I, you know, if you want to be a tennis player, you really have to, you really have to be out there very early. By midway through my teens, I was certainly leaning towards acting, you know, getting involved in school plays and youth theatres. And uh, yeah, and I kind of, that's the thing that floated my boat. We hear this a lot, like a lot of the reasons why a lot of young men get into acting is because, uh, you know, the drama department is because that's where the girl's at. Was that something that pulled you in there, too, as well? (laughs) (laughs) Say that again. Like uh, we always hear like a lot of guys got into the drama department because that's where the girls were. Was that something that drew you in as well? Oh, God. You know, at an all-boys school, no, oh, it wasn't, unfortunately. Uh, you know, so, no, it wasn't. But, you know, there was the youth theatre, the youth theatre I went to, which was a, I went to prob- probably from the age of about 14 or something like that, which was just something that happened every Sunday, but it was a very disciplined place, and the person who ran it was really kind of, uh, took great pains to kind of, almost tell us what was expect would be expected of us in the business if we kind of if we the discipline required to be an actor and the focus and it was amazing that I stumbled upon that really because wow. it kind of gave me a, a good idea of what continuing drama school would be like and then it was a good basis but uh, at the youth theatre yes there were there were plenty of girls girls and boys uh, and uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it was a very I I I think I started going there because I people that became friends just um, I, uh, were very very expressive and very um, they were very cool people, and I I think that helped me want to be around those guys at the time. Now. Um one of the the cool things about doing any kind of performance uh in front of a live audience is that instant feedback um just as a stage actor how much do you feed how much does your performance feed off of the crowd reaction i mean they're completely linked i mean there's i i can't like can't separate it you kind of I mean, I don't want to speak crazily, but there's a kind, there's a kind of music that happens 
I think, between audience and actor. And it's, the atmosphere in the room is kind of the, the music. And you can, you can sense when people are with you. You can sense when you're challenging the audience. You can sense when you've lost them. Um, and so, you know, so obviously, obvious things like comedy, you know immediately whether they're with you or not. Um, but also, you know, also being on stage, you kind of feel when the audience are interested in a certain thing. So that draws you in a certain way. I don't, and, and that means it's different every night because the audience isn't always in, interested in the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I mean, completely. I, I did a lot of theatre for a lot of years, and that's what I that's what I trained in. Um, it's probably only in the last five to five to eight years that I've been doing more screen work, which I love as well. Um, but yes, is is there any? Yes, there's nothing. No, I'm sorry. On. No, is there any pressure as a uh, stage actor? at a certain point to start getting into screen work? Is there like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, is that like just when you first got started, was it the, the ultimate goal to go into screen work or, um, did that become the goal as you were, uh, working on stage quite a bit? I've gone back and forward about this, like over my career really, because, um, yeah, I love doing theatre, and there also comes a point where you go, you know, when a theatre job finishes, and you suddenly you know, you've got a week's grace, and then you're you're broke again. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not one of those sustainable wages. Um, but you really learn. For me, at least, there's lots of ways to to, to you know to go about this this business and acting but for me i'm really grateful that i i was able to do so much theater because i felt it gave me a great a great grounding and it kind of gave me chance to really kind of you get rehearsal i mean many of the things i i film certainly you don't get rehearsal you don't get time to kind of get into the bones of the character you have to you do it all yourself but you know you don't get that that luxury so so i was really grateful for the this theater i've done but i also at the same time was thinking you know there's this there's a catch-22 in the sense that you know if you can if i want to play great parts then i also need to have some kind of um people need to know me so then i can be cast in the great parts you know and that played around in my mind um and also i love films i love i love um screens so i did what definitely want to to work in that at some point and again i feel really lucky that i've had projects such as the terror i mean the terror was a phenomenal phenomenal thing for me to work on i mean yeah really really great but it was but um I don't know. You talk to some people and they do theatre and it's hard to get into screen and then they do screen and it's hard to get into theatre. And it's not always as fluid as it as it might seem, you know. So I thought I would just do theatre and not do screen. So I'm so glad that I can do both. 
you know, it's an interesting thing because some of these characters that uh, that actors play, they, 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 you know, they're very intense. And I always wonder when you when you play like on like such as we're, since we're talking about your stage work right at this point, um, when you play a character that's very intense, where you have to live with that character for quite a long time, you know, with the run of the play. Um, I wonder, does that character come home with you or, or are you able or one of those actors who that character stays on the stage and it's then you turn back into Paul, you know, when uh, when you're off the stage? Wow. I think um, I definitely don't. If I, you know, if I'm playing a dark character, I, I definitely don't bring that home to my wife. Um, I think I'll be kicked out straight away. But I, um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it's quite difficult. You know, if you're consume, you know, we kind of are our thoughts, aren't we? I think if you're if you're continually working during the day and working uh, on a thought pattern of a character. Then I, it's I think you always carry a little bit of a a little bit of it around with you. So I'm sure there are changes, you know, changes that happen. But it's not. I certainly would attempt to drop it rather than rather than bring it home because it. I think it's it places the theatre. You know, it's not in in my family. You know. <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, I, I'm sure your wife appreciates that. <laughs> yes, but you know it's a deal because she's an she's an actor as well, oh, okay. and uh, you know she's played some very intense characters, and so it's a deal between us. Please leave it, leave it at work. You know. <laughs> How cool is that to have someone who understands you know what you go through as an actor? Uh, do you guys? Do you? I, I can imagine that you guys probably. Uh, uh, talk about your experiences and stuff like that. How cool is it to have a partner like that that you that can relate to you? Oh no, it's it's, um, oh, it's an amazing thing actually, and, and also you know, also challenging in different ways, but amazing in that we can understand what each other is kind of going through, and then um, you know, it's uh, yeah, and also I don't know, also a challenge because. Because it is quite a it's a consuming job, isn't it? So I think that you know, keeping it keeping each other on a, on on track is a challenge. You know, a level on a level. Now, um, now let's talk about uh, the terror. Um, first of all, were you were you aware of the the novel uh, by Dan Simmons before you took this project on? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was one of the one of the first things I did was read the novel. Um, I mean, obviously after, so I'd read the first episode, uh, which is the episode we got in order that I got at least in order to, uh, go up for the part. Um, and yes. And then when I, when I got the job, I went straight to the novel. Yes. And obviously there's a lot of changes, which I, part of the part of the changes that have happened from the novel to the to the final script, I'm kind of they will have dropped out of my mind because I was focusing on what we had in front of us, which was this wonderful script. But yes, I read it and I really I really loved it. I was gripped from the from the outset. I mean the the story the 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 actual story of the Franklin expedition is is one of those 
fantastic stories that, you know, that uh, has captured the imagination of many people. And then the book really kind of adds its own mythology to that story. Um, I was watching uh, the showrunners uh, talk uh, and they were saying how they, they talked about how, you know, the terror was found when they were getting ready <laughs> for <laughs> to, to prep the show. Uh, were you were you a part of the the um, cast at that point when they found the terror? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was a, it was the bed, it was the best publicity stunt I've ever ever seen. No, no, it was a, no, it was amazing. It was amazing timing. It just felt like, gosh, there's something right about this. Then you know, it's, it's un- unbelievable. See, AMC, AMC, they they said, you know what, yeah. we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be the ultimate. They know they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Genius. Yes. So um, now the. The uh, the writers did an amazing job, and as well as you had such a wonderful cast. Um, just what was it like to work with uh, with the, that wonderful talent that you had on the show? Uh, yeah, it was a great it was a great treat. I mean, I because of the work I'd done over the years, I'd probably worked with about ten of this cast already. Um, in, you know, radio plays, theater screen work and I so I kind of I knew Tobias and Tristan and uh, a lot a lot of a surprising number of the cast so I knew how good they were Um, so I was yeah I was it was thrilling but also to have a little bit of knowledge of the actors that I was working with was great because it meant uh, I could you know I could shortcut relationships a bit you know mm. I meant I had a language already to, to to communicate as an actor with them you know actually, and then and then of course there were people oh sorry no no go ahead sir and then of course there were other people that I hadn't worked with like Jared um and Adam um and Kieran um and and Christos, these incredible, these incredible actors I hadn't worked with before, and it was that that was another joy, another joy. Yes, you know, athletes often talk about how when they when they play with other athletes who are on a higher caliber of talent, that it brings their game up. When you are as an actor, when you work with such wonderful, talented people, uh, how much does that increase your um, your performance? You think? I would say, I would say hugely, I think. So I think, for example, of working with Jared, and he's somebody, as I said, I'd never worked with him before. And um, his, his like passion for tra- chasing the truth and the integrity of the scene is like on another level. And, you know, that brings, obviously he was playing captain and i think that brought everybody's level up actually like because he was leading the show and he kind of leading from his example i think it it made the show lift for me certainly but um but also you know also having worked with uh actually i i i knew tobias uh but we've never actually been in a show together i just knew him and he's always fantastic and 
well, I, actually, it's hard to it's hard to kind of single out people because the cast for me, for my money, was so strong, and everybody brought a level of integrity uh, and a, and a great level of truth to it, and so it felt it makes it easier. I think it makes it easier to kind of just be in the situation and react in the situation within the scene. You know, on on such a, especially at the end of the terror, well, the, the last episodes of the terror, it, the source material is so bleak and so dire. I, I really mm. want to know how you guys as actors dealt with sort of that. How did you... Um, how did you sort of like? Was it counterbalanced with a lot of off-screen sort of uh, being jovial with each other, or what? Or did you guys sort of just immerse yourself in that direness? Because on screen, it really shows. It, you people look beleaguered by the by the environment. Yes, um, there was a great atmosphere for me. It wasn't bleak at all, and I think actually part of it is. They are trying to survive. You know, they are trying to survive. They're trying to survive until the, till the, till they can't anymore. You know, and I think there's a there's a forward motion in that. It's not a bleak. It's not a bleak thing. You're still trying to push to survive, and of course it becomes completely hopeless. But no, I think it wasn't a bleak. It wasn't a bleak thing to film. I didn't find anyway, um, and maybe that was something to do with the character I was playing. He kind of lost faith in human nature, but he didn't lose faith in the world. Um, and so I maybe I don't know maybe that's where my mind was. You know, now that you mention that, the one of the last things that I remember standing out in my head that Mr. Goodsir says is that even even in the throes of the bleakness that's around him, he found it to be beautiful. I I yeah I completely forgot that, but you're right. Wow, I have to go back and look at that yeah, scene all it, over again. Yeah, no, it's a good yes. That's that's where he is. I mean, I think he. From the very beginning of the trip, he was of the voyage. He was what he wanted to discover was the natural world, and you know, learn about everything that was in that environment. And I think that remained <laughs> strangely that remained the same. You know, he was still attracted to the beauty of that world, but it's just the terrible things, which is kind of what becomes the terror the terrible things humans can do to each other you know and when they're desperate now now i, I loved uh you know i love the the scenes you had with with uh jared as well as other actors but some of my favorite scenes with you were the ones that you did with uh, the lady silence i thought that was uh oh, very well done and you guys had seemed to have very good chemistry uh, uh um in those scenes as well Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, she's a beautiful character, Lady Silence, and and Nevi was Nevi. So you know this. She's a musician and an actor, and she I don't know. She had a she had a very generous and gentle quality about her, 
and um, d- what David and Sue had written with that relationship was so delicate. I thought it was really, really beautiful. And we'd talk of it as a sibling, you know, a sibling relationship. Mm. Just protective of each other um, and, you know, over the the obvious language barrier, just a kind of willingness to understand each other. Um, yeah, very, I think they wrote it so beautifully. Um, and, yeah, I remember that, that scene when um, Good Sir is having a, after after the lead poisoning takes uh, effect and uh, he witnesses what, you know, what, what is going to happen to everybody. They're going to lose their mind and want to die rather than go on living. And he has that panic attack and, and Lady Silence comes into his tent and just puts an arm on him and kind of calms him down. And I think, I, I think I found that very moving in the script, that scene. Yeah, um, yeah, it was very well done. What do you think about what do you think it was about uh, Lady Silence that made uh, Good Sir so drawn to to her? Say that again about Lady Silence. That what? Sorry. What do you, What do you think it was specifically about Lady Silence that made Good Sir feel so drawn to her, to where he wanted to protect her so much? Was that just in his nature? You think, or was there something specifically about her that made him? you know, feel that way? Well, I think, I mean, initially, obviously she's in, in, she represents something that he has never known. I mean, the fact that he can, in this, you know, in the world he was living in, this Victorian world, um, that he's had the chance to go out on this incredible, incredible expedition and then on top of that, he meets somebody who is a native of the land. And I think for him, it's a scientific interest initially, but but also a, a scientific interest, but with respect, because I think what, what Good Sir tunes into quite quickly is, or maybe it's part of his personality in the first place, that they're guests in this land it's not their, you know, they're not going to this world, this Arctic world, this strange land to conquer it. They have to respect it and they have to um, live within its rules, its bounds. And I think that's why, I think that respect he brings to Lady Silence, whereas some of the other crew and some of the other people on the voyage don't have that kind of respect. Right. Um, but he has it. He has it from the off, and I think that at least allows. I mean, he, I think he goes to quite great lengths in order for her to trust him. Um, and and the lengths he goes to is a, kind of a gentleness and an openness um, and a respect. So I think that's the initial. I, I don't think it's. You know, I think it's that if. It almost could have been at the beginning. It almost could have been anyone from you know any native of the land that Good Sir would show that respect and that gentleness to. But it turned out to be Lady Silence, and I think 
I think that she then they found a, a great friendship. Now the the pretty much the whole cast were uh, British actors. Um, as a British person, how much was it that uh, you and and the rest of your cast felt uh, a sense of pride about telling a story that is so essential to the history of where you come from? It's interesting because I think quite a, me uh, included there's. There's quite a few of us that hadn't heard of this expedition, mm. which is really surprising. Um, well, it wow. surprised me when I started reading about it. I was going, oh, I, I, it's a, obviously hugely famous. And then the more I, the more I kind of read about it, um, I, I mean, it's extremely famous in Canada, for example. Uh, but I don't. It was not something that was taught in schools, or it's not something I came across. And so it was a complete. It was a completely new, new world for me. And I don't. I don't know. As I, I think. I, I think I don't know. As a modern, living now, I, and I speak for myself, but I, I don't know about other people. My relationship to Victorian Empire is. Um, it's not necessarily one of pride, you know, it's, mm. there was a lot, there were a lot of great things that happened, but there was also a lot of, um, destructive things. And so do I, and, and I think part of, part of this whole story is about hubris. Right. And it turns out in this instance, it's, you know, British empire hubris going to claim this Northwest passage, be the first there, you know, so you can say we, so they can say they found this trade routes um um but not as i you know saying earlier but like not necessarily respecting the land they're going into and i think that's one of the hubris of the story is one of the things that drew me to it um so pride i don't know pride didn't enter it for me because there was so many it's the, the characters were so interesting and had their had their you know foibles their faults they i i so no pride what i do for me for my money there wasn't pride in telling this story but there was great interest and then um and now i'm very passionate about it mm. that period in history now, now um my mother my mother uh stays in chicago um and but she was visiting or she's here now right and so i'm watching the 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 season the uh, the series finale or the season finale and mm-hmm. so she walks into the room and so she's never seen the show at all so has no idea what the show is and the first scene she sees okay. is you on the table and them uh eating and <laughs> taking parts of you <laughs> and my mother was like what the hell are you watching <laughs> what kind of program is this <laughs> and i had oh, to wow that's i think that's the best introduction <laughs> and that I... says it all <laughs> and i'm like if you saw it from the beginning you would like it a lot better <laughs> than coming from <laughs> you just gotta trust me mom so first of all uh 
I have to. I'm gonna take a wild guess that you've probably never had a character come to that kind of end uh, in your career. <laughs> I'm gonna assume that's probably no, the truth. No, that's definitely that's definitely a first and probably a last. I don't know. But that's like, I yeah, know that's a one-off. <laughs> what, what was that? Okay, so did they make a recreation of you uh, to to do that, or were you there? Was that you on the slab? Uh, that when they were no, it wasn't me. No, they did. They did this incredible job um, of making a cast of me, and uh, it was one of the most intense experiences of my life. I think getting it done. They do it in two halves. They do the, the main bit of the body, and then they do the head because otherwise it's too claustrophobic. And um, no, you, I was just laying out on a on a slab. And um, I was asked, do I mind if uh, there's also women that do come in and work on me? And I was like, no, whatever. By this time, I was down in, <laughs> in my pants. And uh, somebody comes in and cuts away the pants, so there's barely any pants on there. And then I just get covered in this mold. And um, I don't know how many people were in the room. <laughs> I don't know how many people were. Like, suddenly I felt all these hands on me. And then... Uh, and then you're locked in that for you know 40 minutes or something like that, and then they they break it off, and then they put then they do the same thing to my head, and they put a straw in your nose so you can breathe because oh, wow. <laughs> you're locked in. So actually, it, I'm not joking when I say it was one of the most intense experiences of my life because I just thought I have to keep breathing through my nose, otherwise um, I, I'm not going to be breathing anymore at all. So it's, I had to really. It's very, it was very claustrophobic. But then what they created was uh, was incredible. And it really didn't leave much to the imagination. <laughs> so I was there when it turned up on set. Oh, wow. And people were like, oh, Paul, is that your ass? Yes, <laughs> it was. Apart from the chunk that was taken out, of course. You know, it's, I, I know it's um, acting. It's, I know it's make-believe. But... You're still, it's still, you're a human being, right? It, it's got to be kind of weird, though, to see a replica of you with chunks out, <laughs> you know, like on some levels. That's got to be a little... Re- it was really weird, really <laughs> weird. And I, and, uh, yeah, it, it was so lifelike. Um, I, I, I mean, I couldn't believe what an incredible job they'd done on it. And yes, it was weird. And I, and yes, they had, to, I mean... Someone took photos of us looking at each other longingly, <laughs> not really longingly. Oh um, but uh, but no, it's very yeah, very strange. And I kind of wanted it as well. I don't know where I would have put it, but I was like, that is so <laughs> freaky. I want it. I, I wonder what would what does your wife think when she saw that? <laughs> what was she? What was her t- take on that? <laughs> she gave me a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, I had shown her. I, I'd taken photos of it, so she knew it was coming because I had to show her what we were working on, and um, so she was she was prepared for that uh, that body laid out there. <laughs> but no, amazing, amazing. Now, uh, I have a question. Th- this is something that's actually come up in the the group that we have. Um, and and I I, <laughs> I I think I know the answer, but I really want to know from you, why was Good Sir still carrying the monkey Jacko with him mm. when they trekked out? 
Well, he th- he still thinks they're gonna they're gonna make it home, and you know that is evidence of what has happened, or you know of the of medical research, you know, and so that's part of it. Um, I mean, the darker part slightly is that it's you know uh, it's <clears throat> it's some dark you know, memento of what's going on here. Why, what did you think it was? That is what I thought. I thought that he was carrying the monkey back with him to say, this is the effect. Look, see, we know what the effect now of lead poisoning is. And here, like you said, here's the proof. But there was this sort of cutaway with the, with the picture that was also with, uh, with Sir John that made me think that yeah. that he was also sort of holding on to it as uh, as a tie to what had happened, as if to say, "Look, see, we were here. This is the proof. Here we were." Yeah. And and both of those two things together made it seem like you know, here's the physical proof that we were actually here. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. But also, I think one of the, also one of the things about Goodso, which which while I was working on it was there has to be a reason why um, you get involved in this kind of voyage it's very exciting at the time it's like going to the moon but each 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 character will have their reason some people will be doing it you know some of the crew will be doing it because that's how they earn money and it's going to be a pittance but at least they'll have some money but for good sir you know he I mentioned earlier, but he was really interested in kind of potentially making his name by somebody who, uh, making his name by um, being an authority on the natural world of the Arctic, you know, Um, and making his name as a, well, he was an assistant surgeon, so he wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't think he was going to be the surgeon of the, of the voyage, but, um, there isn't there was an ambition to good sir i think which was important or the ambition the drive to understand the land he was surrounded by and the people and um and the monkey jacko was part of that that's yes he was medical evidence he was something that good sir had discovered he discovered the lead poisoning just the idea that he was talking to the monkey sort of you know saying i'm still trying what it that said everything it just said everything yes. about Henry Goodsir. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That he would talk to monkeys, dead monkeys. <laughs> no, I think by that time, my God, I mean, the desperation and the, you know, the slow cranking up of their, the conditions. Um, yes. Intent. So can I ask? Intent. Can I ask how now? Henry Goodsir was already gone by the time that Tunbach, uh, by the time that they killed Tunbach. Well, by the time Tunbach was killed, I'll say it that way. Yes. What do you think that Henry Goodsir's reaction to Tunbach being killed would have been? Well, by that time, I mean, they were at you know they were at the end of it, but I. I, I think Tumbak for him would is representative of the land, mm. and it's not our in his in his world. It's not 
are their place to go in and kill these kill the creatures of this land so i think on that level um but also i don't think it would have surprised him by that stage by that stage the way particularly obviously hickey the way things were going um and the cruelty humans were capable of it wouldn't have surprised him i think he did as i said he lost faith in human nature not all human nature because he still believed in crozier but i i think you know it wouldn't have surprised him that the tumbak would have been killed by by humans by them because that that is something that toward the end of the uh toward the end of the series that was quite honestly surprising it well it honestly it was really surprising in the book too i read the book many years ago but the the idea right. that henry goodser who has strived all throughout his endeavor to be good to people to be kind to people to well to to want to heal to at the end make this turnaround where he then ends up poisoning people was a that was such yeah. a huge thing and I I wonder if when you were playing the part, did you feel like that was sort of just the end of the end? Like like this is this is the total destruction of my faith in humanity. Other than obviously, other than you know, he still had some faith in Grosier. But like, how did you perceive that? Well, I think he thought it was the best chance to save the best side of humanity which was Crozier. I mean, when he saw him as a prisoner, then his heart sank. I mean, there was no hope of being rescued. Uh, there was kind of little hope of that anyway, but I mean, by the, by the remaining crew who were not, who were not in Hickey's crew. So, but also at the same time, when he saw, when he saw Crozier, he thought, there is there is some kind of chance that he could help him escape. Really, I think um, whether the plan would have worked, I mean, I don't know. If you swallow poison and then cover your body in poison, <laughs> um, it's, I mean, it's a it's a risk in itself. But it was his it was his. I think I described it actually at one point as like his, it was his love letter to the world its final love letter to the world to nature and to the best side of the best side of human nature um was trying to kill that ugly side of human of human nature and let the good go let the good go on it didn't work (laughs) But, (laughs) uh, but i think i i kind of i liked that idea at least yeah, I, I, you know, I like the idea that there is a there, you know, somebody like that character out there in the world, you know, that uh, is willing to at least put himself on the line to try to make that happen. You know, so yeah, that's yeah. No, I think it's a beautiful character, and it was. I think it was like there's a beautiful scene with Hodgson when he comes in and explains why he ate why he ate of Gibson mm-hmm. and he talks about he talks about his um, 
his experience in church when he was younger. Um, and then he says, if I was a braver man, I would, I would kill Hickey. And I think that lands, uh, Goodso's not saying anything at that point. He's just hugely disappointed again in Hodgson. But he's, but he, I think he does hear that. If I was a braver man, I would kill Hickey. And I think that starts to plant a seed in him as to what he might do. Would you say that um, that Paul has a, a little uh, good sir in him at all? Um, I, Paul has a bit of good sir in him. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm, I'm not as brave as good sir, I don't think. But, um, but no, I think I've got a bit of good sir. But then the scary thing is, I think I've got a bit of hickey. We all have like, <laughs> scary things about human nature. Right. Um, right. As well, you know. As a, and as an actor, sometimes you get you, you you get if you're lucky, you get the chance to call on those different bits, you know. <laughs> That's right. Oh, did you um, did you get a chance to work with um, with uh, um, Tunbuck at all? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, were you in? Any no, of I was scenes? there when. Uh, I mean, I saw. I only saw Tunbuck from a from a distance, so I was never up close. So no, not really. I think you know we did. We were uh, one of the scenes I remember um, filming was the, the scene when uh, Hickey was to be hung, and uh, the Tumbak comes in and breaks that up, and everyone starts running for their lives. And I never saw. I never at the time. The closest I got to the Tumbak was uh, somebody running running through the camp with a with a, a a cardboard cutout of a bear, you know, it wasn't so I, which wasn't that scary. Um, but, uh, but but it was basically this is what the tumbak will be doing. Um, so no, I didn't get close to the tumbak. They should have used that as uh, that'd have been interesting. <laughs> yes, you'd be worried. You'd be like, who is this person coming out of the darkness, out of the mist? With a carpet cut out of a bear, I'd be scared of that person for sure. There was there's, there's rumors too that uh, Tumbuck was uh, very difficult to work with. Was a diva on set. <laughs> <laughs> very, very. I can't believe those rumors have got out because we were told not to mention it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very. Yeah, the difficult. catering, the catering alone for Tumbuck must have been really tough to handle. <laughs> That's for sure. So uh, we're at the point of the show that we affectionately love to call a rapid fire. And the way that rapid fire works is that me and Jen will pepper you with, with questions, not necessarily about, you know, the entertainment business, but just uh, some on the personal front, but not too, not too personal because we don't get down like that. <laughs> so are you are you ready, Paul? Hello, Paul. Uh-oh. Paul? <laughs> okay, so uh, we're having a technical difficulty. That's so funny, too, right at that point. Uh, we lost Paul. That is so funny. Yeah, it was kind of a good transition, right? I know, perfect transition. <laughs> and then, uh, okay, so um, 
while we are trying to get Paul back on on there, that's so funny, man. You gotta love live radio. I'm gonna totally re-edit this. Uh, um, we gotta love live radio. So while we're working on getting him back in to properly close out this interview, um, let me ask you a question. Um, uh, how were you as far as the way that you felt about uh, um, the Good Sir character being involved into this? In in terms of the terror itself? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I there's so many there's so many nice parallels between the book uh, The Terror and the series The Terror, and one of them is despite the fact that they changed a lot of what Good Sir does, they really didn't change the elemental sort of foundation Hello? of who Good Sir is. How you doing, Paul? Sorry about that. There he I, is. So, sorry about no, that. Sorry about that, but I, I was told if anybody brings up what a diva comeback was, you have to get out of that hole. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want him no, coming after you. Sorry about that. Right, so uh, we're at the point of the show we affectionately call Rapid Fire, and the way that Rapid Fire works is that me and Jen will be peppering you with uh, questions, uh, of not necessarily about Hollywood, but just kind of get uh, some uh, ideas on how you know how you are as a person and whatnot. So we don't get too in-depth, oh. in So, but it, it should be a lot of fun. So, okay, fine, fine. All right, so the first question um, uh, is that uh, a couple of years ago at Coachella, they had a hologram concert of the rapper Tupac. So my question to you, oh, yeah. my question to you is, what dead artist or band would you like to see a hologram concert of, if you could? Oh, okay. Um, oh, good, good. I mean, most of my most of my music taste is quite quite old, actually. But they but they're still hanging on. They're still around. <laughs> um, um, I missed I missed Leonard Cohen. Oh yes, Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Yes, he just passed away too. Oh, that yeah. Yeah. So Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen. All right. All right. So Jen, your turn. All right. <clears throat> what is your favorite time period? Oh, um, oh, God! I, I've I like a lot of time periods because they're all very interesting. So, um, let's say, let's say late sixties. Oh, good Ooh, one! Nice, yeah, nice. What's your favorite guilty pleasure junk food? I eat a lot of chocolate. Mm. You like the dark milk? Everything. <laughs> He's like, give it all to me. <laughs> I can definitely dig that. Go ahead. Uh, okay, on a on on a rainy Saturday evening, what would be your favorite movie genre to sit back and watch? I always like watching dramas so for example i would love to on a rainy rainy saturday night i'd love to watch magnolia for example great movie yeah nice good choice but i also i also love hitchcock's oh 
really good choice. Okay, so what is a uh, a secret talent that you may have in your toolbox? Like, you know, maybe singing, dancing, or whatnot, or a possibly hidden talent? Uh, um... A hidden talent is I can do. I'm not going to do any. I, I can do ba- bad impressions, but I mean I can take somebody and do an impression to make them unrecognizable. Is that a talent? <laughs> Some may say. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, nah, I like that. Hey, I, I'm I'm like that too. I can do bad impersonations where it's supposed to be one. One language, uh, one you know, race or whatever, or one person, but it sounds completely like something totally different. So, you, <laughs> you, know. you nail something else. You nail something else completely. <laughs> right. I like uh, like my Caribbean accent sounds Middle Eastern. <laughs> you know. So. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> just say just when you go for your Caribbean accent, just say you're going to go for Middle Eastern. That's, that's, that's what a smart person would do, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, so Jen. All right, what's uh, what is your favorite classic novel? Mm. Hmm. I really have enjoyed *Crime and Punishment*. Mm. Dostoevsky. Yes. Ooh, that's a heavy one. Yeah, heavy, but I did. I really enjoyed that. All right, I can I can dig it. All right, here go. Last question. You 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 live in um, the UK, right? Uh, uh, in yeah, what London, something like that. Yeah, in London. Yeah. Okay, so you have to help a brother out. Okay, so a young man wants to take okay. take a young lady out in London, and he doesn't know. Uh, on a, on a first date, so you got to give him advice on what's the perfect first date to take a young lady out. Okay, I think the river's very beautiful, so I would take, and you can just you know you can get a you can get a, a ticket and get a trip down the river. So I'd go take a trip down the river, uh, go and have a nice a glass of wine I don't know I, look what does this person drink I'd say a glass of wine uh, by the by the river and then um, go back into the heart of town maybe watch some comedy that's what I'd say and hope that the comedy is good don't just go to the comedy store alright I can dig it so when I go to when I go to London and uh, I take a young lady out on the, the Paul Reddy date, uh, if it goes well, yeah. I will totally take credit for it. If it doesn't, I'll be like, you got to call Paul. It was his fault. Yeah. <laughs> so. Fine, listen, I'll take it. But, but the river is, I think the river is a winner. Um, the river is a winner and the comedy could be a winner if it's, if it's, if it's good comedy. So I, I wish you luck on that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I want to um, thank you so much, Paul, for coming on the show and give us some insight into y- your career as well as, uh, you know, your work on the terror. Um, do you have any projects that are coming out anytime soon that we need to be on the lookout for? Um, I have. I filmed something after um, not long after, but I think it's just going to be aired on, on British TV as a as a a drama called Bodyguard that's coming out. Not the Bodyguard. Mm-hmm. 
because that's Whitney Houston. But this is uh, this is called Bodyguard. Um, that's coming up, and then I'm going to film something. Hopefully, uh, we're just sorting it out now. But in the next, hopefully, in the next month, it will kick off um, for BBC here. So most of the stuff that's happening is on British TV at the moment. Uh, you know, us uh, us Americans, we love British TV. We're like addicted to it. So uh... <laughs> oh, well, that's great because. <laughs> We Brits love uh, American TV, so there you go. Fair. It's a fair exchange. <laughs> now, if if um, somebody, do you have any uh, social media or a website that uh, if people want to know more about what you have up to, uh, that they can uh, check out? Um, do you know what? I, I'm not very social media savvy. I am on Twitter, but I, do you know, I only did, I did one tweet the other day, and it was the first tweet I've ever done because um, there's somebody who was posting their incredible paintings of the characters they'd done in the terror. And, um, and I just had to tell, tell her how amazing they were. But that was my first tweet. So I'm not particularly social media uh, savvy, but wow. uh, I think I might, I might get there. I might get there. I've still got, I've still got some years ahead of me. But you're not... Um... Matchroom boxing. <laughs> There's some a Paul Reddy, who's a father matchmaker in operations matchroom boxing. He's from the United Kingdom, uh, <laughs> but I'm, that's not you. <laughs> no, I uh, no, I, I. What am I? I'm Paul. I'm Paul underscore Reddy. I think on Twitter. Okay, so I discovered. Paul underscore ready. Here we go. And I'll make sure. Is that sure. what you call it? Is that what you call it? The underscore? I don't know. Paul mm -hmm. dash is on the floor. Ready. Yeah. Oh, yep, okay. That's, that's me. That's me. All right. Well, thank you so much, sir. Um, and uh, Jen, how can people get you on social media? They can get me on social media at following bliss across social media platforms. And my website is critical laughs with two L's dot com. All right, and you can get me at Kente F on Twitter as well as you can go to our website, IndieRadio.org. And uh, we will be here, uh, you know, covering uh, whatever, what else comes through with the terror as well as uh, the other programs that we cover as, and, uh, of course, the spotlight. So uh, we'll catch you next time. You guys have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll catch you right here at IndieRadio.org. Peace.